Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. So verse 6 of chapter 4, just remind ourselves what the Pasuk says, Vayomer Adonai Lo Ode, depending on where we put the Ode. Um, God said to Moshe, either the Ode goes backwards, furthermore, God continued to speak to Moshe, Havena Yadcha, bring, pray, your hand, Bechaykecha, to your bosom, into your bosom. We played with that a little bit. He brought or he took his hand into or to or towards or on top of his bosom. Remember one of the uh, words we looked at suggests that cheik cannot not only mean the bosom and the body, but the cloak that you wear over your bosom. And this could be an understanding of a, of a fold within inside the bosom, within inside the cloak. He took it out. The mapike and the hay is for the feminine of Yad, and behold, his hand was, and, and in the translation here, we saw um, kind of the, 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 the eliding of the, of the meaning. It was as leprous as snow, right? And we discussed how, what it doesn't, it, it's really a three-part analogy. It was, as, it was as white as, in which connected it to both leprosy, I'm using that term, even though we know it's not really leprosy, uh, as snow is. So the adjective of mitzoraat really should be livana, but instead it's mitzoraat. And we played with that uh, as well, but we haven't yet read the Rashi on that, which is going to go deeper into it. So any questions on the main meaning of the verse before we jump into the Rashi? We did read that Rashi. I was the reader. That's so I'm so. Okay. So then, then, then that was... Um, then that was review, right? So, so Rashi basically makes the point that we just discussed, that this is using the whiteness to connect the tsara'at to the shelek. Okay, then let's go with the next verse, starting with verse seven. Did we read the next verse, Joanna? No. Okay, let's do the next one. Great, thank you for that correction. Uh, Joel, I don't think you've read in a while. Do you want to read verse seven of chapter four, Vayomer? Vayomer Hashev Yadcha, um, and he said, uh, return your hand to your either breast or cloak. Um, and he returned his hand to his breast or his cloak and he took it out from his breast or his cloak and he, um, behold, it had returned to its um, flesh. Good. Okay. Uh, the translation that Joel provided presents the multiplicity of possible meanings for cheik. We have a sense of, we, we have a basic sense if we had to stage direct the scene, what's actually happening. Once again, Moshe is complying with this instruction that God gives him for this second oat, this second sign that's really going to be kind of like a, a magic trick in Moshe's hand to show the Israelites, to help them get to believe. Questions or comments on that verse before we look at the Rashi? One once? Okay. Yeah? Rick? Hi. Um, does anybody say anything about the weirdness of talking about snow in the wilderness? 
it, it, it's not like uh, the Eskimos where they have a hundred different ways of describing snow. Uh, we're not a snowy kind of people. So there wasn't anything white that they could compare it to besides snow. Hmm. Anybody ever, any commentaries talk about that at all? Well, what would you want to say about that? Something white in Egypt, like uh, like alabaster, or, or, or some some kind of thing that they would know, uh, living hundreds of years in in Egypt. Something there's no snow in Egypt. I mean, why why snow? Um, it just just popped in my head. You're saying as as the nimshal, as the analog for what something can be compared to. Why is that the the you know? Not sheep, not alabaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A white sheep, yeah, yeah. Right. It's an interesting question, you know, from the perspective of Egypt. Like, it's very possible to imagine that those who lived in ancient Egypt had no idea what snow was, right? Because I don't think it really ever snows in Egypt. For those who lived in ancient Judea. Um, in the mountains, yeah. They, 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 they had to have a word for that stuff. Uh, ancient Egypt, I'm just not sure, right? It's interesting to think before the world for civilization knew about things that took place in other civilizations. They didn't need to have words for it. Uh, so that's an interesting question. Um, it, it's a it's a cousin to the question of the dolphin skins uh, that are used in the Mishkan, right? The, the Orot Tachashim, um, right? What, what, how, what's a Tachash? Uh, what is a Tachash skin? And why does the Mishkan get built with, um, with, with them, often translated as dolphin skins? It's a cousin to that question. I see some hands up in response, maybe to the question. I saw Joanna's hand. I saw Diane and and uh, Larry's hand. So Joanna, you you stole my thunder. I was going to ask about the dolphins. Dolphins, yeah. Um, we don't know what, what I'm referring to. If, if you if you if you're not sure that not aware of that phrase in Parshat Shuma, in the beginnings of the Mish, in Mishkan, Va'orot Techashim Va'atzei Shitim, skins of Atachash and the wood of cedar. And for some reason, a tachash is translated in many English translations, a dolphin skin, clearly, well, maybe not clearly, who am I to, um, to question the miraculous ways of the Holy One? But it's hard to imagine that even the Holy One would go through what it took to provide the Israelites with dolphin skins, which I don't even want to think about anyway. Why would you use a dolphin's skin? But, but it is one of these questions about how certain words, right? If we take that, take the... Uh, the, 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 the pullback approach, the meta approach to this, how certain words and images got into this text when they don't seem indigenous uh, to the people about whom we're talking or the cultures. Rick? The, the, the dolphins, um, um, I've, I don't know if I've said it before, um, I, I learned from Rabbi Jack Reamer when I was in San Diego that there was a midrash that um, the dolphins tried to help the horses and humans survive the the crossing of the Reed Sea. And so some of them got tangled up in the ropes and all that, and some of them got killed. And so they, they washed up on the shore and that's where the dolphins came from because of these altruistic uh, dolphins. So they were be honored by, by using their skins for the tabernacle. So that, I think that's a um, Ethiopian, um, what do they call them? So uh, Beta, Beta Yisrael? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's a midrash from uh, Ethiopia. It's a very Jewish midrash, which is itself a tautology, right? That the that the reward for the dolphins' altruism is for them to be slaughtered and have their skins be used in the Mishkan, right? Um, but that I, I not I was not aware of that midrash, but that's fascinating. 
uh, Diane, and, 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 and what's most fascinating about that Midrash is that the, the rabbis couldn't figure it out either, right? That the, the, the fact that the, the Midrash had to be written because they, they, they didn't understand how Atahash got into the desert. Uh, Diane Larry? I, I just wanted to comment that I, I think we're, we're focusing wrong by thinking about Egypt in terms of where the story is written and edited and changed. There's snow in the hills of uh, Judea and Jerusalem fairly regularly, and back then there would have been. There's snows on the Hermon uh, and the mounts of Lebanon, and there is even snow in the Sinai Desert. And a true story, my sons and I were hiking in the Sinai Desert on a day when the temperature was over 40 degrees centigrade, over 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and all of a sudden there was a freak hailstorm. Unbelievable, huge, white balls of hail came down and covered the ground while the temperature outside was soaring. So what happens? Yeah, hail is different than snow, obviously, right? Um, in Hebrew and in English. So barad is different than sheleg. So my under unless the, 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 the meaning of the word sheleg has changed in Hebrew in the last 2,000 years, my understanding is that when the Bible uses sheleg, it means snow. Um, and snow is a much less common thing to happen in the Sinai Desert, I would think, than a hailstorm in the summer, right? I, I've also been in summer hailstorms, which is just strange, but but it happens. Um, is there is there actually that you think there's snow on the peaks of Sinai Mountains in the winter? In the Sinai I, would, I would guess that if you looked it up, it probably historically there might have been, but I don't I don't know that to be the case. Interesting. Okay. Um, great. Anything else in this verse before we have Joel read the Rashi? Andy. Hey, I, I just wanted to point out, it feels to me the, the, the construction of the sentence uh, in this in this Pasuk is kind of repetitive in an interesting way where the Cheik just keeps coming back again and again and again, three different times as if it has to be repeated to understand when probably not necessary. And then you look back in the previous Pasuk and it's Almost like that, but when it says at the end, it doesn't say as it does in this Pasuk. So just something that caught my eye that may have significance. Good. Baruch Shekivanta. Rashi is going to read some very interesting significance into that. This is going to, to, you know, spoiler alert, Rashi is going to read the verse in one of those ways where he says, and from this we learn this grand principle. And it's from that very specific thing. It's from the absence of the Cheik in the removal of, um, well, it's, it's from the presence of Mecheiko in the removal of his hand in this verse, where it's not in the previous verse, right? So uh, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Good pickup. Everyone see what he's looking at? That if you look in verse six, last week's verse, um, he brought his hand from his, uh, hold on a second, did I just lose my place? Yeah, when he, when, when he brought, when he put his hand into his bosom in verse six, and then as Vayotzia, he took it out. The verse just says he took it out. In our verse, and that was on the way to becoming white as leprosy. In our verse, where the momentary plague is reversed, it's Vayashevya do el Cheko. That's parallel. He returned his hand. He brought his hand out from his bosom. Vayotzia me Cheko. And he took it out from his bosom. The from his bosom is not present in the previous verse where it mentions the turn to the whiteness, and Rashi's gonna play with that. Okay, uh, so let's actually go right to that Rashi. Joel? 
ויוציאה מחיקו והנה שבה בבשרו and he returned he took the, his hand out from his bosom and behold it was um, flesh mikan shemida tova from this we learn um, that the um, a good um, a good uh, thing um, whatever mida is um, a, a measure a characteristic in, in kind of rabbinic Hebrew, midah connected midah is that the, the punishment fits the crime that like the 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 value inherent in a certain action comes back comes back to you that if you're going to um, commit a certain avera then your punishment will be in line with that so here it's a, it's almost a midah of of the holy one right so the eser the shloshesrei midot the thirteen attributes of God attributes right that we say on the who knows one this is a an expression of God's uh, character, okay? Uh, so a good characteristic comes um, faster than a bad characteristic or a characteristic of punishment. Good. So what Rashi is doing so far, he's going to use his, he gives the general principle that he's learning first, and then he's going to explain to you why he, he thinks that, right? This is a very rabbinic way of making an argument. Our logic usually goes the opposite. We lay out the points first, and then we, we come to the conclusion, right? We learn from this that when God is exemplifying a positive, soft, compassionate attribute of God's, it comes quicker than when God is in the punishing, negative, dark uh, realm. How do we know this? How does this come from the verse? This goes right to what Andrew was just picking up on, Sharei. So when at the beginning it didn't say from his bosom. Right. And what's the beginning? What's the specific reference? Verse six. Right. In the beginning, in this two-verse, two-part miracle, put it, put your hand in, look at it, put your hand in again and look at it. In the first one, the word mecheko does not appear. And he doesn't mention that doesn't talk about doing the hokey pokey. Said, what does that mean? He oh, puts his hand in, he takes his hand out, but he doesn't do the hokey pokey. Yes, no hokey pokey. So this is a very terse Rashi. Can you, Joel, or someone else fill in fill in the words? If you were to write a paragraph about this Rashi, he, he only gives one half of the argument, and he doesn't even actually lay out the argument. How do we know that God's positive attributes come quicker than his negative attributes? Because in the first one, it didn't mention mecheko when the hand is coming out. No, what does that mean? Anyone want to flesh it out, Joel? Anyone? All I could say is if it was the opposite, he would have made the exact same argument. He would have said the absence of the word shows that it was even faster. Correct. Can, can, can you make the argument that Rashi is making here, though? What's the argument in the word or the imagery? So that, I mean, even before he took it out, it was already, it was already uh, back to itself. He didn't have to remove, like, in the process of taking it out, it was already done. It wasn't after he took it out. Correct. That somehow the mecheko is okay. And the first, in, in, in the first time, it's not until he takes his hand all the way out and is looking at it that he realizes, uh oh, it's white. Like Fred Flintstone realizing he had hit himself in the toe only after looking at the toe and seeing that it was it was swollen. Uh-oh, it's going to be, it's going to hurt. Whereas this time, it's almost if he's reading, as he was removing his hand from 
the inner folds of his cloak or his bosom, it was already healed, right? And somehow the mecheko, which you're right, Joe, you could read the opposite. The, the mecheko could be read as once it was fully taken out from his bosom. Rashi's reading it is in the departure from the cheik, as, as Moshe looked at it, it's like, <gasps> it turned back. It turned back to being normal and it turned back to being normal even before I did the full out of where it was. That's sort of how Rashi's reading it. And he's learning a grand theological principle from this, or he's choosing to, right? Or the, the Midrash from Shemot Rabbah that he's taking from it is choosing to. Look, yes, God is punishing. God can bring you tzarat. And yes, God can heal. But the healing comes quicker, right? Sometimes I think that these sorts of Midrashim, these, these um, uh, imputations to God's character is a tremendous example of hundreds of years of rabbinic wishful thinking that was belied by what they experienced because we actually happen to know that they, that they experienced so much of the opposite, that the harshness of the world that they experienced from God came quicker and more often than the ease. Okay. Um, I saw Vered's hand. I'm not sure if it was for this point or something else. I saw Barry's hand, but it's down and I saw Sue's hand. So Vered, Vivakasha. I just actually have a very short comment about uh, diseases in Hebrew and Baharet and Metzorat and all those. So there's a reference in Vayikra about Baharet. And it means Baharet from the word Bahir, which we understand that that is white, like pale, the skin is pale. So all, all those words belong to a section of diseases in Hebrew. There's a mishkal machalot. Yes, that was just a comment. Thank you. And 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 the, the colors of those diseases, including Adam and Adam Dam and Yerok and Yerak Rak, gets a lot get a lot of attention. In oh, Ademet, Ademet is rubella, and Shapat, which is a flu, comes from influenza, which is lehashpia, the verb. Right. So there is a whole section like this of diseases. That's what my, was my comment. Thank which you. Which is very interesting, you know. Right, diseases that are sourced in the color of the of of, of what, of what the, they do to the body. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, not great, but 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 great comment, Sue Wagasha. Um, <clears throat> I know it's spelled differently, but all this heko um, and this this kind of what looks like a, you know, like a wait for it, magic trick, voila, that kind of thing, except until you get to that very end. It sounds like the word chikui lechakot. And so there, there may be a little playing there with the idea that you wait, that wait for it, wait for it. But in the last bit, there's no waiting. Here it is, voila. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different root because lechakot is paf. With a kuf, chikui is to impersonate, right? Vered to to um, to mimic. Um, so if there's any etymological connection, I don't know if there is. It would be the chikui having to do with being something being like something else as opposed to waiting. But midrash doesn't always care about shurashim, so I accept your midrash. <laughs> uh, Barry, wait, uh, your hand was up and down, going once. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here, so I, 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 it's kind of redundant, I guess, by now. Um, it, it would seem that um, it, when we're connected to Hashem, um, the, the, it, it's 
it's all smooth. It's, it's all connected. Um, so but whether it's fast or slow makes no difference. It's, it's connected. When we disconnect from Hashem, um, then the, there's timing involved. Yeah, yeah. In other words, you say that one more time. That that when we're when we're when we're, we're connected to Hashem, time is immaterial. Ah, uh-huh. it's just in- when, we, when we disconnect with Hashem, then time is material. Interesting. Okay. Good. Right. So I I think that is a rendering of what is happening in the midrash that Rashi's pulling from. It's from a pretty. Not only is it a a weak proof text, as Joel pointed out, it's a proof text that could literally be read the exact opposite direction. Um, sometimes Midrash is a problem in a verse looking for a sermon, and sometimes it's a sermon looking for a problem in a verse, right? So if you really, if you, if you really think about Midrash as sermonica, which we talked about in the past, right? I, I, and I think about this as a rabbi, as a teacher, I imagine the rabbis in the academies in Surah and Pampadita on a Thursday afternoon in the year 240 saying, what am I going to teach my students this week? Right? It's Parshat Shmot. What am I going to pull out of it? Or what, what religious lesson is it significant for me to communicate? Not because it's the Parsha, because I haven't talked about this concept. Is that snow in uh, the Sinai? <laughs> Thank you. Um, and voila, ah, there was, there was no mecheiko, there is a cheiko. I can do something with that. I can do something with that. I, I, I know that rabbinic pressure. I know that teaching pressure. Lahavdil elef alfei havdalot. But to go back to what we were beginning, talking about the beginning of the, uh, of the class. So Friday morning is the funeral for Rosemary's son. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there with a the family on Long Island to officiate at this funeral. And I've been thinking about like, what, like, what do you say when, when, when words are an insult, when any attempt to put words to something which is beyond words, how to come up with the words is, is impossible. And so I've been thinking, I've been thinking about what, what can I find? What, what, what is waiting for me? What, what's a hook that can offer some comfort and some empathy to a, an utterly shattered family? Meditation. And I'm probably going to use something in in from the book of Echa, which we're we're already begun to think about. Uh, I'll just I'll you can be my therapist for a second. I can share with you that I'm thinking of the phrase from the book of Echa, Ein Menachem La, that Jerusalem is described as. There's no one to comfort her. I, I, I don't know if you realize that since Liana died, um, Isaac accused himself and has since that time been depressed of its being his fault, even though it was a drunk driver that ran into them, crossed the yellow mark lines on Olympic Boulevard at CPE. Um, they were going east. They had just come from Sinai Temple for Shabbat services. It was a terrible tragedy, in some ways worse even than this one, but this was horrible too. And I have terrible, horrible feelings for them. For the, I mean, I just it's just awful. Just thought you should know the significance. Isaac has never been the same person. If there's anything you can add that might help him, because I mean, I'm worried he's liable to kill himself if, if, if over this. Let, let's move. I, let's move from there. There's my my fault in bringing us back into here, particularly because it's on Facebook. We're in a semi-public um, zone right here, and and yes, I hear every word you're saying, Barbara, and thank you. Um, the point being that as we look at what the rabbis are pulling out from the absence or the presence of mecheiko 
in this tiny little action, I identify with what it means to try to, to, to squeeze everything from that verse to give a sermon, be able to teach something, right? Um, th and, and this one, it could be read in both directions simultaneously. Uh, Stevie. Yeah, I think that the fact that it could be read in both directions is actually what's motivating them more to speak rather than the pressure to say sampling at all, but rather someone could read this and could easily think that, you know, oh, God is quick to punish and slow to forgive. And the rabbis want to emphatically reject that notion. Great. That's a really helpful comment, Stevie. Thank you. Right. They want to emphatically reject it. And, 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 and they found, they found something to, to, to hook it onto. Um, Sue, since you asked publicly, Ruben was killed in a plane crash, uh, in, in, uh, in a small plane crash uh, taking off from the Aspen airport on Friday night, Saturday night. Um, Barry. In the, in the level of unspeakableness, how does one respond to the Shoah in the innocents, the millions of innocents, the millions of innocents? So take it from there. Take it from there. There, there you are. Okay. I don't treasure what you have to do. Thank you. Okay, let's go back to Torah, where our, our endless font of, of um, interest and inspiration. Um, okay, so anything else you want to mine uh, from this verse? Okay, Joel, you were you 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 were on and you were off pretty quickly. Uh, Carol, do you want to read verse uh, eight? Okay, sure. Um, and so it will be or will come to pass if if they do not uh, believe you and they do not hear or heed uh, to the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the last sign. Good, good. And I got, I got, I got no uh, improvements on that translation, but I would love to open up the verse to questions, uh, things that jump out at you, uh, particularly on here to lead the witness on the way that Carol accurately translated it. Does that accurate translation bring up an, a question on how the verse is constructed? Larry, Diane? So I'm not sure I heard, uh, Carol, your translation, translation of the very last word? The, the last sign. Okay, so the thing that comes to mind is a lot of people are probably looking at JPS either in the Eitz Chaim or on Safaria. And I'm also looking at uh, Arie um, Kaplan. And they say, they translate it as, they will believe the second. They translate Acharon as second. And Arie Kaplan does too, which is really a shock to me. He says they will believe the evidence of the second sign. Alter doesn't. Alter says they will believe the voice of the second. Whoa, I'm wrong. The voice of the second sign. Why did Acharon become second and not the last? Or it's because of what happens in the next verse, because there's a third sign that's about to come. So they're translating with anticipation. Yeah, but that's. That's not translation when you're translating with anticipation. Unless someone's going to tell me that acharon can have some sort of meaning that either means second, which it clearly doesn't, or um, 
the previous. Yeah. Or former and latter. Right. Ever Fox goes latter. Ever Fox translates this verse, so it shall be, comma, if they do not trust you. That's how he renders the um, mean. I like that. Um, and and do not hearken to the voice of the former sign. I love hearken because hearken, we know it means listen to, but 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 somehow the relation between listen to and voice and sign is hard to make sense of. So hearken to the uh, voice of the former sign, then th that that they will put their trust in the voice of the latter sign. So he renders uh, Rishon and Acharon as former and latter, a little bit less of an ordinal number first and second. Um, and well, we, I see a lot of hands up, which are, which, which, are, which are wonderful. I want to hear everyone's thoughts. Remember, we have the, the constant translation problem. Aleph Chet Resh is translated in modern English as after or other, right? There, there, there are mount, mountain ranges in between what that word meant then and, what, and how the English words um, create meaning in our minds now. And there are plenty of places of the Torah where it's very hard to render Aleph Chet Resh or words that are built from it using our common English understanding. So for instance, Akidat um, Yitzchak, um, after, uh, after the angel says no to Avraham, right? D don't slay your son. V'hinei ayal acher nechaz basvach. There was an ayal, I forgot the exact word. Um, I think it was ayal. Uh, there is a, a ram that is stuck in the thicket, but there's an acher there. Is it another one? Another one compared to what? Is it is it referring to a place like achar, meaning over there? It doesn't mean second. It, it's hard for it to mean anything that we normally translate achar into. So it's one of those roots that we think we know what, me, what it means in terms of modern usage, achar and achare, and it's not 100% clear what it means then. And one of their comments on that, there are midrashim, Plenty of midrashim on the difference between vayhi acharei hadvarim ha'ela and vayhi achar hadvarim ha'ela, right? That even though we normally would think of them as interchangeable, and it was after those things transpired, the rabbis do midrash on whether or not the word after that is present in the Hebrew text is achar and acharei, which means that they were also trying to figure out what it means. So, yes, uh, Larry, good pickup that the translation of acharon into second is not obvious. It's also not easy to translate that word. Diane. So um, what about the use of the word lach? Lo ya minu lach. We would, is it really referring to Moshe, in which case we would think it would be lacha? Or is it referencing back to the act that they're not believing and that's why it's lach? Yeah. There are a couple of places, more than a couple, in many places in Torah's Hebrew and certainly in, in Prophet's Hebrew, where what we would consider to be an absolute when it comes to gender, lacha only for male and lach only for female. And if anything, we see the bias in the other direction where women are included in a masculine form, but men would never be included in a feminine form. There's an asterisk to that, that occasionally, unless you want to go really into a stretchy midrash, it's lach is used for a masculine and oftentimes is understood by the scholars that I study with has to do with meter and trope, right? So, um, you know, there are two versions of Yadid Nefesh, right? And one of the, one of the versions of Yadid Nefesh is Ahavatach and one is Ahavatcha. 
So one of the ways of reading it is that it's referring to the masculine experience of God and the feminine, the Shekhinah. And most say, no, it's just a question of poetry. And, you know, if you're writing a poem in iambic pentameter, you have to make sure that the, that the um, syllables are right. And something about the, the trap of Munach Katon here, where there being a stress on the penultimate um, uh, vert, uh, penultimate syllable of Ya'aminu, as opposed to Ya'aminu, somehow pulls a half syllable from the Lacha, makes it a Lach. It's almost a cousin to how Sheleg, haha, becomes Shaleg, Lechem becomes Lachem, and um, other forms like that, where where a word appears in a verse impacts how many microsyllables you have, and therefore sometimes even the vowel changes. Or we should read it midrashically, and there is a, a feminine object here that we should be thinking about. Uh, okay, I have no idea of the order, so I'll just look at my screen. Norm and Rachel, go first. I think when we talk about hearkening, it's more than just hearing. It implies, at least to me, um, that you hear something and accept it or rely on it or act on it. Um, that it isn't just something that you consider and perhaps reject. It's something you consider and accept. That the hearken, that the rendering of it hearken is saying that it's not just an auditory experience, but, 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 but uh, an accepting of what is incumbent upon you as a result. Good. I like that. Uh, Leonard Rebecca? Uh, according to my dictionary, acharon means not only last and latter, but it can also mean next. So in other words, it doesn't, this doesn't have to be the, the last uh, sign. It could be the next sign. Uh -huh. The next one. I was going to say is that I'm not going to be available next week. Okay. Um, great. Uh, not great that you're not going to be available, but great in terms of uh, another possibility for Aharon, which certainly if it's part of a series, right, um, then next makes sense. Um, thank you for what you, whoever wrote about Shelleg, that this is the only, not quite a half pack legamenon, but that it's a very rare uh, noun in the Torah. Uh, Joanna. This whole thing about listening to the sign fascinates me because I either would have expected both of the verbs to apply to Moshe. They won't believe you and they won't listen to your voice. And it's not your voice, but the voice of the sign, whatever that means, or else for the verbs to be reversed, at least. Right. They won't listen to your voice and they won't believe the signs that they have seen. And so there's something about the words here and also just this whole concept of we expect seeing, they won't believe what they would have seen. What's the connection between these signs and the act of hearing, listening, especially with the reference to snow, because unlike other forms of precipitation, snow has virtually no sound when it falls. Great. So that comment is dancing around the comment that I was wondering someone was going to make directly, which is what is the voice of a sound? What is the voice of a sign? Why, if it's oat, why is it coal? If it's coal, why is it oat, right? Um, I say that um, with, a, with a twinkle, a dear colleague of mine, uh, Rabbi Matt Berkowitz, who was ordained from JTS year before I, and then uh, made Aliyah after working in the States for a little bit. He's an incredible artist. We've had him as the artist in residence for the Kolker Klein Shapiro artist in residence I don't know, five, six years ago. Uh, and he worked with the kids in the Pressman Academy to help them illuminate a Megillah, which you can see pieces of in the 
whatever lobby is downstairs in our building. Is that Schneider or Alpern? I always forget which lobby is which. Um, he has an organization in Israel uh, that is dedicated to um, bringing this type of artistic work into the Jewish educational experience, and it's called Kol Ha'ot. Kol Ha'ot. Um, I never asked him where he got that from. Maybe it's from this verse, or maybe there's another place in the Torah where Kol and Ot are associated. But it's a it's it's a wonderful whimsical name. This the you know the, the the sound of the sign, right? We're gonna when we get to Exodus, we get to Revelation. We'll also uh, hear that where where um, where there are things that are that shouldn't be visible that are being seen, and things that are should not be audible are being heard. And here we have that. So the sound of of the sign. Um, anyone else want to jump in in response to what uh, Joanna said or what I'm offering here in terms of the relationship between coal and oat, or 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 or, or just the 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 flow of the verbs and the objects here, Barry or Rick. Um, yeah, the um, if if you picture a huge crowd, the people at the front actually see what's going on, and then they tell the people behind them. It's kind of like the shamor of a zahor kind of thing. Some people heard it this way, some people heard it that way. So. Um, the, he's going to show the signs to the elders, and then the elders have to tell all their people. So um, th that's how it becomes uh, uh, from visual to uh, hearing, I think. I don't know. Good. Barry? Well, just a couple, a couple of comments here, and then the comment that I raised my hand for. Um, uh, when they stood at, 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 uh, at Mount Sinai, uh, this word was used, but they, they didn't I don't know what they saw or what they heard, but everyone had a separate experience. Um, uh, so, uh, a deaf person looking at an art experience uh, has a different sensory experience than a hearing person does. Now, uh, my, my comment, um, um, it, it, God gave the first sign to Moshe for what reason? So that maybe people wouldn't believe what God is showing. God would give a second thing to Moshe so the people maybe not believe, but what's going on here? Why is God doing this? What's the setup? Okay. Good. Joel? I have no doubt that ot does, you know, means sign, doesn't mean letter. When it was written, it doesn't mean letter when Rashi was reading it, but to our modern ears, it's almost like God's making a pun. If he doesn't listen to your first letter or when you first start talking, he'll listen to the sign. Ah, so that oat means letter in one place and, and sign in the next place. Yeah. Um, good. Uh, anything else on this before we look at, did we read the Rashi in this? Um, no, we haven't read the Rashi in this. Anything else on the verse itself? Okay. Um, oh, Diane Larry, yes. Only that... I think that oat can also be translated as a note, although not a musical note, but a musical note is a symbol of a sound, a call. Yeah. But that's probably only valid in English, translating into note. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to get that verse in Revelation that they, they, that they, saw, they saw the sounds, right? So... Um, I, you know, in Connecticut, when you grow up, there's a, there's a stupid pun that like, you know, what's the, what's one of the only sounds you can see the Long Island sound, uh, because that's, I don't know why that body of water is called a sound. Maybe it's on my mind. Cause I'm going to be seeing it in uh, tomorrow. Um, 
actually, I have no idea why that body of water is called a sound, but that that's a Connecticut and Long Island joke. You can see you can you can see a sound, the Long Island sound. Joanna uh, is uh, nodding her head because she knows that one. Um, but why? I, go ahead. I was I was going to say, if if you think about magic and tricks, they're never done in silence. And in fact, they would be weird if they were done in absolute silence. There's either music or there's a whoosh or something. So I don't know. Um, Andrew, you're from the South Shore, right? So you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't care about the sound. You care about the Atlantic Ocean. But we're more provincial. On the southern shore of Connecticut and the northern shore of Long Island, it's all about the sound and the Port Jefferson Ferry. So don't... don't uh... <laughs> Um, okay. Mea culpa, mea culpa. O- Oceanside is an entirely different uh, part of the world. Stevie. Yeah, um, I don't know quite what Kolhaot uh, can mean, but I do want to point out that in verse one of this chapter, Moses is is worried about Yishmuub Koli. So they're like, whatever this means, it's a distinct shift from listening to Moses, right? Yaminu Li becomes Yaminu Lach, which is consistent. And then Shmuelu Koli becomes Shmuelu Kolaot, which is something different. I don't know what that what it is, but it's yeah, relevant, I think. That's really, that's a great association. It's as if the Moshe lacks confidence in what Moshe can produce on his own. And so God and God's miracles are going to be, are going to be the intermediary, intermediary the voice that's going to be present for the Israelites and eventually the Egyptians to either believe or not believe. Right. So you, you don't trust your voice, your halting, perhaps, perhaps stuttering voice, Moshe, there's going to be another voice and it's going to be the voice that I'm going to, it's going to be, it's going to be God's voice exemplified through your, these, these magic tricks that I'm giving you. Good. Okay. Uh, Carol, back to the Rashi. Uh, I think we have time to get through this Rashi. Go ahead. Okay. I'll probably need some help with this. Um, Okay, the Haminu Lakolha Otaharon Mishet Mishet Tomar Lahem Bishvilchem Lakiti Alshe Siparti Alechem Lashon Hara Ya Aminu Lach Shekvar Lamdu Bekach Sheha Mizdugin Mizdavgin. It's a hard word. Mizdavgin. Mizdavgin lehara lahem lokim banigaim kagon farov avimelech bishvil sarah. Okay. So some tough words in there will help you. What I want you, Carol, and what else we're thinking about is this important ongoing question, Rashi. What's the question he's answering? He's starting with the answer. So the question is, what is the thing in the verse to which he's responding? We will uh, induce that by uh, translating the, the Rashi. Okay, go ahead. And 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 none of when, when you all ask questions on the verse, none of you yet asked the question. Sometimes you anticipate Rashi's question. None of you uh, and ask the question to which Rashi is responding here. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, when you when you say to them, or I guess that's what the Misha. Yep. When, when you, say, you or once you one of the one of the two. Yeah. Okay. Once you say to them, uh, for you or for your sake, I don't know, Lakiti. 
Right. So uh, a, a malkot in rabbinic Hebrew are lashes. Lamed kufhei is to be it, it, it's to be afflicted, to be sometimes to be whipped, but it means to if if a nega comes on you, you are nilka, you are afflicted with a nega, with a certain kind of um, a plague. So once you say to them, you should put if you're if you're annotating this, put in quotation marks. Bishfil chemlakiti. It is for your sake that I was uh, stricken. When was he um, stricken? Uh, on on account of. Um... I spoke lashon uh, harayo. I spoke ill of you. Right. So, what what is that referring to? Uh, one of the times that I don't know whether he, when he was angry with them for not being patient. I'm assuming. So, isn't the hand right? So, it, the the midrashic understanding, not the pshat understanding, the midrashic understanding of the verses that we read. If any if any of you on this class missed any of the previous two classes, it might be missing, is that the reason why one of the signs is that Moshe experiences temporary tzara'at is because Moshe exhibited temporary, but to God, painful distrust in the Israelites in saying about them erroneously they're non-believers. That was considered midrashically to be Lashon Hara. So yeah, it was just a sign, but while God was giving Moshe the sign he was going to use to convince the Israelites, God was also giving Mazets. You're going to you're going to say Lashon Hara about my people, you're going to get some Lashon Hara about that. So now <laughs> it's it, it it's it builds on itself. That very fact that Moshe, while being given the sign to use to convince the Israelites, was himself afflicted, is going to help convince the Israelites that he should be trusted. Why? Once you tell them that it's on your account, my having said terrible things about you, uh, that I was afflicted with this sign in the trial run, then they will believe you. As uh, they, will, they will believe you. Why? Now try to do the shikfar lamdu. Because uh, they've already learned from this. Uh, uh, I don't know what the mizdav gene is. What's the root? What's the three-letter Hebrew root, you think? What can you pull out of there? Uh, I don't know, the Zion Dalad Gimel? I don't know. The, the, the Dalad is, um, is part of the Hit Pael when a Zion, when a first letter right, root right. with a Zion is in a Hit Pael, you throw in a Dalad rather than a Taf or a Tet. So the Zion, Dalad... Zion Gimel Nun? Close. Anyone? Zion Vav Gimel. Zug. Pair. Oh, oh. Lezaveg means to pair up. A zivug min hashemayim is a match made in heaven, right? Um, so there's a uh, and and in modern Hebrew, lehizdaveg means to um, couple with someone. Uh, wink, wink. I remember uh, a moment when I was in Israel uh, spending Shabbat on on, on Moshav with one of my cousins. This modern Orthodox Moshav, and a cousin on the other side of the family who was recently very, very, very from and studying in yeshiva, and also learning spoken Hebrew much after he was learning rabbinic Hebrew. <laughs> and we were walking uh, to shul and in a, in, a, in, a, in a group, and he was trying to say that he's looking for someone to have a chabruta with, but he said, Ani mishu which does not mean that. It means <laughs> I'm looking for a guy to hook up with. <laughs> it was because he was trying, I'm looking for someone to be coupled with, but that's not what it means in modern Hebrew. Okay, so and not what he wanted to convey. So, so, so here, 
it's a sense of zoog, not um, a person to a person, but a sense of if, if, if someone attaches themselves to a certain thing. It's a weird way of understanding. I don't, I don't know why he used the word uh, Mizdavgin, but they've already learned that Mizdavgin Lahara, when you attach yourself, that's the best way I can do it, to evil or to evil speech in the situation, Lahem, now I'm doing your translation, keep going. Shemizdavgin Lahara Lahem. So is this Lokim the same as the Lakiti, same root? Correct. You're uh you're you're uh i forgot, I forgot what you said that means <laughs> stricken stricken with and this is this pl- the plagues the negaim correct or, and the maybe the best way to render this in english is that they the israelites have already learned that those who amiz davgin those who attach themselves to do evil things to them the israelites or about them those very people are afflicted or stricken with plagues how do the israelites who are who are slaves in egypt know that kagon like pharaoh and abimelech yeah who were on on account of sarah right and what do you remember what, what that's a reference to no anyone barry she's my sister egypt yeah stevie you got it correct there there are three play three many narratives in the book of Genesis, two with Abraham and one with Isaac, sometimes with Pharaoh, sometimes with Avimelech, sometimes in Egypt, sometimes in Grar, where Sarah or Rebecca is taken temporarily by one of those foreign leaders. There is a weird situation where the husband in the situation uh, it says that he's allowing it to happen um, for, for her own benefit. And then whether it's being stricken with a dream or waking up in the morning and being stricken with a plague, Avimelech or Pharaoh for having abducted an Israelite woman, Rivka or Sarah, is stricken. So the way, the, the, the way this Midrash is built is the Israelites in Egypt know their stories. They know, they know the book of Breshit. They, 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 their ancestors lived through it, they know it. And they know that it does happen that in God's world, when you take an evil stance with respect to the Israelites, you're going to get stricken. Therefore, Moshe, you have double believability. You're going to go in front of them and you're going to say, look, look, look at this magic trick. And the reason why God chose this magic trick um, for me to show to you is because I have to admit to you, Israelites, that I didn't, be- I didn't believe that you were going to believe, which means I get, I, I said Lashon Hara about you, which means I had to experience temporary, um, leprosy, which I'm now experiencing again, which you're about to show was due because you're about to believe. That's going to make them believe. All of that is built up in these uh, 10 or 11 words. Larry, Diane. So if I understand correctly, Rashi is referring to when Moses is talking to God in front of the burning bush, when Moses is struck with Sarat himself later on and being punished, when Abraham and Jacob and 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 yeah and Yaakov, uh, no and Isaac, um, were were had the Pharaoh or Avimelech struck, so all these different times and once, right? All these are being referenced, yes. Right at one time. So I'm I'm watching Loki while I'm on the elliptical, and I think that Rashi ought to be reported to the Time Variance Authority, the Time Police, whose job it is to make sure that things are occurring on the right timeline. 
this is really this is really wacky that that Rashi thinks because he actually thinks that the people will understand all these references, right? Right. Right. Are you using Loki with a pun? No, there's a Disney Marvel Comics series called Loki, which is ah, just perfect perfect timing for about 45 minutes on the elliptical. Right. It's also um, I thought you were making a Loki Loke Latin oh. reference. <laughs> um, if you look, this is just one of the places oh. you're referring to. Uh, if you look at the, at the screen I'm sharing, 12th chapter of, of Breshi, I think it's Lech Lecha, uh, the whole story, and you can just see the, the language, Vayinaga Adonai et Paro, God, the root here is the root here is not laka. The root it, the the root of the verb is the root nega. God afflicted Pharaoh negaim dolim very great afflictions. Viet beto and his household the al devar sarai eshet avram on 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 account of what he did um, to Sarah the husband uh, the wife of Abraham. What is very if, if you wanted to poke an enormous hole in Rashi's comment here and the series of midrashim he came from is that what's going to be much more present in the Israelites' mind? How an ancient Pharaoh was afflicted for having taken Sarah, whom Avraham gave him permission to, or how the current Pharaoh has not yet been afflicted for having enslaved them for 400 years, right? So if he's going to make the point, oh, you know, Israelites, that just as I'm experiencing momentary tsara'at because I did some evil things to you, and you know that's the way of the world, you might have 600,000 Israelites saying it hasn't been the way of the world for us in the last few hundred years. So it's a very interesting analogy that Rashi is using as a proof, the notion that pharaohs are, it's one thing if he uses it as a prediction, but as a proof, as a proof uh, to believe me, that pharaohs are afflicted when they uh, mistreat the Israelites, that has not been the Israelites' experience, at least the Israelites to which Moshe is trying, to which Moshe is speaking. Joanna, and then we'll close. And we know whether we're talking about Israelites or pharaohs, people have a pretty short-term memory in Egypt at that time because, you know, a generation after Joseph, nobody remembered who he was anymore. So let alone going back in time even further. Yes. Yes. Very good. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.